Hey you guys, Kogamoko here, and today's episode is all about Mattel and how they were really able to rebrand Barbie in the lead up to the last couple of years. The real inspiration for this episode comes from two specific things. One, I was doing a bunch of research on Mattel and the history of Barbie for a the first episode of my new show with my friend Nikki Reardon that just came out. It's called Share Your Screen, where every single week one of us is going to make a super deep dive PowerPoint on like a very obscure pop culture opinion that we have or theory or topic. And I did the first episode on the polarizing and controversial history of Mattel and Barbie and the founder Ruth Handler. So I really had this at the top of my mind. And then on top of that, I watched a documentary that came out in 2018 called Tiny Shoulders. And that documentary really felt like it was almost documenting the demise of Barbie, of what would be the end of Barbie. And so it's so crazy to say that knowing that the documentary came out in 2018 And fast forward to now, 2023, and I would argue that Barbie is the most universally loved brand out there right now and how that is. So I'm going to get into all of that in this episode. I think there's a very specific lesson at the end that comes with being a public figure or a public facing brand that everyone can take away from. And I also want to just add a note here that This episode is more primarily about Mattel and the brand and the physical doll and what it represents and not necessarily just about the movie because I 100% stand behind SAG and the WGA strike. So I just want to put that out there that this is not a piece of promotional content towards the movie, towards the studios. This is just more so about Mattel and the brand Barbie even before the movie came out in the lead up to it because I think they're a really fascinating case study on how to change public opinion in your favor. So I'm going to dive into all of that in this episode and if you guys enjoy it give me a rating that always helps me rise in the charts. I don't know what happened the last couple weeks but my podcast just blew up so if there's new of you guys listening thank you so much. I appreciate every single listener, and with all that being said, I'm going to roll the intro. Okay, so to understand Barbie and why she's so polarizing, I think we first need to talk about the start of Barbie and the person behind Barbie, because I think it'll explain a lot about the doll. So if you didn't already know, Mattel was started by Ruth and Elliot Handler. They were a married couple and then their business partner, Harold Matson. Now the name Mattel came from combining the name Matt and Elliot Mattel. And Harold Matson actually ended up selling his stock, I believe in the 60s, which I feel like he probably regrets that to this day. I know I would, uh, but that was just something to note. Now, they didn't actually start with the Barbie doll. They started with a toy ukulele was one of their biggest sellers. And then they also had the Magic 8-Ball in the 50s, which was a big seller. And 
the money behind these selling toys was what allowed them to start dabbling in dolls. They also launched the toy line Fisher Price, which you might know of today. Um, I still had Fisher Price toys growing up. So it wasn't until 1959 that Barbie was born and Mattel started in the 40s. So that just puts into perspective as well. If you feel like you're a failure because you're a creator or whatever it might be and you haven't seen a bunch of success in the first two, three, five years, just know that the doll Barbie was not launched at Mattel until 15 years after the company started. So it really puts into perspective. Now, the birth of Barbie and she's been polarizing since before she was even on the shelves. So what do I mean by that? Ruth Handler, the creator of Barbie, got the idea for the doll because she saw, and this, a lot of this information here comes from Tablet Magazine. They had a really great article about Ruth Handler, and then the documentary Tiny Shoulders also had a segment about Ruth and the creation of Barbie. I just want to cite my sources. Now, the reason she came up with the idea of Barbie was because in the 50s at the time, the only dolls for young girls to play with were babies or toddlers. And she really felt like that indoctrinated young girls into motherhood. And it's such a great point because even to this day, you can still go into a toy aisle and the aisles that are geared at girls have a lot of babies, baby strollers, little creatures that you take care of, that you bathe, that you have, they have pacifiers, they have diapers, things like that. Why don't they sell baby dolls in boy sections? Let's think about that. Go into a boy section of a toy store or a store that sells toys. You're not going to find a baby, a stroller. You're going to find fire trucks. You're going to find police cars. You're going to find Legos, things that they build. And so Ruth noticed this decades ago in the 50s and was like, why do girl toys only gear them towards motherhood, but boy toys allow them to explore careers, allow them to be builders? And when she first pitched the idea of Barbie to her manufacturing team and the execs at Mattel, one, they felt like the doll wouldn't succeed because it's like a really hard to manufacture, I guess. So at the time, the only way to scale dolls and manufacture them were when they were those baby plush dolls. And so they didn't really feel like making a three-dimensional adult doll would be profitable. And they also told her that young girls would not want to buy a doll that appeared older than them. So that was a common sentiment. And it wasn't until she was traveling in Switzerland in 1956 that Ruth found a doll called a Build Lily. It was actually one based on a German comic, but also it was mainly sold in tobacco stores to men. It was seen as like a bachelor toy, like here's a girlfriend. And if you look up, if you go on Google and you look up right after you're done reading my podcast, if you look up Build Lily dolls and compare them to Barbie dolls, especially the first few generations of Barbie dolls, they look almost identical. So 
Ruth bought one of these Build Lily dolls and she brought it home to the Mattel offices and was like, here's an example of a doll that I think we can build. So that was when the prototype of Barbie was created. Now, Ruth also <laughs> consulted with a psychologist, and the psychologist warned her that mothers would not buy the doll for their daughters because Barbie would be seen as cheap and vulgar. However, he did say that maybe young girls would see her as glamorous and aspirational. So, there was a lot of naysay against Ruth going into the creation of Barbie. And I think that what's really interesting is, I always say this as a trend forecaster, I love looking at trends because I think they're bookmarks for what was happening at the time, but if you are yourself a creative in the moment, the best thing you can do is look at what's trending and then see if you can provide the opposite of that because that means that there's a missing area of the market. And so Ruth saw that there was a lot of popularity around baby dolls and toddlers and strollers. And she said, what's the opposite of that? I'm going to give little girls a doll that lives on her own. That's an adult that has a dream house, that has a career, that doesn't need her. It's the opposite of what's trendy. So anyways, back to the premiere of Barbie. So she first was shown at the annual toy fair in New York in 1959. And in the documentary, Tiny Shoulders, Elliot Handler said that they were really disappointed at the response of toy sellers to Barbie. Not a lot of them were very interested. However, the moment that Barbie hit the shelves, she was a bestseller. Completely blew it out of the water. And the demand for Barbie was so high that they came out with Ken just two years later to fill the consumer need for more around Barbie. They wanted to build a world around Barbie because that's what consumers were asking for. Okay, now, this is where we're going to start getting into, like, Barbie has always had a straddling of society in a way. Um, so, Ruth Handler herself was a huge proponent for women in the workforce, and you'll see that with Barbie. She has all of these different careers. In fact, they even made an astronaut Barbie 10 years before a woman was ever sent to the moon. Um, they also created the dream house for Barbie and in the 80s made the dream house hot pink because they wanted little girls to know that this was Barbie's dream house. It's not Ken's house. This was something that Barbie bought with her own money. And the reason that that was deemed as so progressive when the dream house initially came out in the 60s was because women in America were not even able to own their own credit card until 1974 which is so wild. So most of the time when women owned things, it was because their father or husband had to sign off on it. Now, there was also a day-to-night Barbie in which Barbie was seen in a corporate-looking outfit, and this was in the 80s, and it was deemed as progressive because at the time, the corporate workforce was still very male-dominated. They also came out with a the first black doll in 1968, and her name was Christy. This got a lot of praise, but there were still critiques about the doll Christy because she was created using the Barbie mold, which people brought up the note that that could be seen as pushing, 
Eurocentric beauty standard. So I did want to note that. And now I want to get into where Barbie has had a lot of problems with body image. And we saw this come true in years later in the Tiny Shoulders documentary, which I want to get into because it was so fascinating. Now, I'm going to put in a trigger warning right now about eating disorders um, because, boy, was this triggering. But in the 60s, um, Barbie came out with a product known as the Sleepy Time Barbie. And she had a scale that was permanently set at 110 pounds. And the average weight of an American woman at the time of the release of this doll was 140 pounds. On top of that, Barbie was seen, Barbie's measurements were estimated at around 5'6". And for, this is according to Tablet Magazine, for a woman to be 5'6 and weigh 110 pounds with the proportions that Barbie had, she would potentially have hair loss. She would potentially stop menstruating, which are both signs of anorexia. Around the same time, they came out with a babysit Barbie, and she had a few books in the box. And one of the books had on the title cover, How to Lose Weight, and the only other words in the book were, Don't Eat. Now, it really brings up this question of like, Ruth Handler and Mattel, they really, really wanted to give girls something to aspire to that was more than just motherhood. And yet, in that breath, they also gave girls something unhealthy that they should aspire to. And I don't know if it was just because at the time, education around eating disorders just wasn't what it is today. But you can only imagine how many girls, how many young girls then acquired an eating disorder after seeing products like this on the shelf and what it did to them. And I think that it's something that Barbie seems to grapple with even to this day, which we're going to get into with the Tiny Shoulders documentary. Um, I also just want to talk about Ruth Handler really quick because she's really fascinating. And I talked about this in the Share Your Screen episode with my friend Nikki, where we dove into the history of Mattel, but that Ruth Handler, she was the daughter of Jewish immigrants that escaped Nazi persecution. And I think that Ruth Handler is a great example of someone can be very progressive and someone that you idolize and they can also be flawed and those two things can exist at the same time. Now, she was an advocate for women entering the workforce. That was a huge push behind the Barbie doll. And in the 1970s, she was actually criminally indicted for falsifying Mattel's sales to increase their stock price and she had to serve five years of probation but from that she created the foundation of the people and it was a program helped centered around helping people on probation re-enter the workforce so again Ruth Handler turned something negative into a positive and I think that's a sentiment that we see with Mattel time and time again is maybe dropping the ball but then not just allowing the ball to sit dormant but trying to use it towards progress 
another thing is that Mattel, Ruth Handler had to step down from Mattel following her criminal indictment. But later in life, she created a successful company called Nearly Me. And after she got a mastectomy, she noticed that there was a gap in the market for breastplates that were comfortable and looked realistic that women could have after a mastectomy. And this company as well was successful. And she was actually deemed as really progressive for publicly talking about early detection of breast cancer in the 1970s when the topic was still taboo. So again, if she hadn't been criminally indicted and if she hadn't had to step down from Mattel, would she have launched this other company that was really used as a talking point to push cancer research, specifically breast cancer research, forward? So again, I think that it's just this, there's this misconception when it comes to brands or public figures that they're either 100% good or they're 100% bad. And I think that as a consumer, it's up to us to really measure the good and the bad and see them as multidimensional and use our buying power to let them know whether we agree with where they stand or not. Okay, now I want to talk about the branding magic of Barbie and then I'm going to get into the Tiny Shoulders documentary and really the present day of Barbie. Now, something there's two specific reasons that I think Barbie is so great at branding and in the tiny shoulders documentary they even said that Barbie was they had a statistic I don't know where they got the statistic but it said something about she's a brand that's 98% worldwide recognizable so Barbie's face is even more recognizable across the world than like U.S. president's faces um so that was interesting it just shows you the power of Barbie and one of the branding factors around Barbie that I think is really interesting is that she's timeless. So what do I mean by that? She transcends age and she's become intergenerational. Even like with the movie, even though it's geared towards children, the product is enjoyed by all ages. So even though the movie is PG-13 and it could technically be considered a children's movie, even adults, even grandmas, mothers, aunts, cousins, little sisters can all enjoy the movie the same and that's something that Barbie has always been really great at. I also think the fact that there's so many different types of Barbie dolls when it comes to career, life stages, aesthetics, it really ensures that the brand will evolve evolve with each individual consumer. So I use this example in the share your screen episode but you can be in college and you can have college Barbie And then when you graduate and you become a dentist, you can get dentist Barbie, right? So there's different stages of Barbie. And it really is ensuring that the doll is always evolving with each individual consumer. Now, another thing about Barbie that I think really makes her magical in the eye of the consumer is that I think that she's really tangible. And so what I mean by that is Mattel has created products surrounding the doll that felt tangible yet dreamy. So you have the dream house, you have the car. It really created this illusion that Barbie continued to have her own life and world, even if you were not physically playing with the doll. And so it took the pressure off the consumer to feel like, 
Barbie's only use was when she was out of the box and you were physically playing with her. Instead, it was almost this like ideal that she could sit on the counter, she could sit in her dream house, or she could sit in her car and she continued to exist even if you had played with her in a year or not. So I think that's another interesting thing about her. Now, the lesson that I mainly take away from the history of Barbie, and then we'll get into the present day branding and how they were able to rebrand, was that, again, two things can exist at once. You can love a brand like Mattel while also being critical of them and wanting them to do better. I think the same goes for public figures. Ruth had her flaws, but she turned them around for something better. I also think that Barbie is a really great example of how influential products are over the cultural zeitgeist. The bigger the brand, the bigger the influence. And you often hear brands complaining about, well, you know, we have so, you know, people are taking us the wrong way or whatever. Instead, I think that brands should be appreciative as well that they've even gotten to a point where people are tweeting about them or people are talking about them or making videos about them because it just shows that they're bigger than just a product. Like, I could do a whole deep dive on Red Bull, but I think Red Bull is an entertainment company that happens to sell energy drinks, not energy drinks that make entertaining videos. So, again, and then another lesson here is that really going against the grain, growing a grunt going against what's popular and my friend Nikki has referenced this comment that he got on a video which was that counterculture becomes future culture and so Ruth really went against what was popular and despite harsh critics she moved forward with Barbie and she's now has one of the biggest brands in the world if Ruth had just made another baby doll like all of her competitors we wouldn't be having this conversation all the way today in the 2020s so that was really the history of Barbie, and I just wanted to give some context there before I get into the Tiny Shoulders documentary in the lead-up to the movie. So that will be the next part. Here we go. Diving into really what I wanted to talk about, I just felt like I needed to give you guys some context if you didn't have it already, because understanding the history of Barbie and the founder, Ruth, really helps you put into perspective their intentions behind, I feel like, every decision that they make. Now... The documentary Tiny Shoulders was filmed in 2016, but it premiered in 2018, and it's on Hulu if you want to watch it, and it's really, really interesting because to me, it almost felt like they were documenting what they believed at the time could have been Barbie's demise. You even had in the beginning the Mattel CEO at the time say, we are in a crisis and we need a crisis plan, and he was talking about how Mattel was like bleeding money. They were losing so much money. They had a bunch of news clips where um, all of these economic, <laughs> like financial analysts were saying how Barbie's stock was tanking and Mattel might have to close their doors. And this was in the mid 2010s. And I really think that this was also a huge awakening with consumers. I call it like the Victoria's Secret effect where it was at a time when consumers were starting to really push against brands that were not being responsible with their power and really pushing women towards unrealistic standards. Um, because I think we also saw the rise of the internet and 
consumers were finally seeing a diverse representation of themselves, whether it be through influencers, whether it be through, you know, non-photoshopped smaller brands blowing up. And consumers were ready to get rid of the gatekeepers. And I think that big brands like Mattel were seen as the gatekeepers. They were seen as like, they are holding back the floodgates of waves of acceptance for so many women. And I think that Mattel in this documentary was also, it followed a bunch of Mattel employees as they were gearing up to launch the first ever like curvy Barbie, essentially. And you could tell that they were really grappling with this idea of Barbie didn't necessarily ask to be at the forefront of these very political and sensitive conversations around women. And yet it was such a huge influential brand that no matter what, it was going to be that. And even if you did see the movie that recently came out, there was even a moment where, I don't want to spoil it, but there's even a moment where I believe America Ferreira's character was like, if all of this pressure is put on a doll that's supposed to simply represent being a woman, imagine how actual women feel. And I thought that was such a great point. But at this time, 2016, they were showing clips of where Barbie was really polarizing. And at times it seemed like she was hated by both ends of the political spectrum in America. And so this invention of the first curvy Barbie really was their Hail Mary throw to try and change the conversation. And I thought it was really interesting because I had grown up with Barbie, but I do feel like the last couple years, until we started getting a lot of momentum around the Barbie movie, I wasn't really thinking about Barbie anymore. And I think that was the problem. I think that they had in some ways faded into the background, especially as you saw a rise of so many competitors like the Dolls Monster High, for example. And so Barbie had to really figure out how to stand out and how to be progressive without losing their identity. There was even a really interesting point in the documentary where the people manufacturing the doll, the head designer of Barbie, was trying to figure out how to make the prototype of a doll that had a th didn't have a thigh gap, so like the thighs were touching, which is obviously so much more realistic, and yet that would mean that it would be hard for kids to pull the clothes on and off of Barbie and change her outfits, which is one of like the number one fundamental identities of the brand is that she can put on different outfits and change who she is and so it really was a reminder that sometimes when it comes to these brands and you know the public being really hard on them something like the thigh gap and the doll which I don't have a thigh gap mind you at all like literally blisters when I'm walking through Disneyland but that Sometimes the lack of inclusion also isn't necessarily from a place of malice, but in the sense of the thigh gap, it was from a place of just practicality. And in the documentary, they also talk about they had, I think, what they would describe as a failed launch where they 
a few years earlier they came out with a super diverse line of Barbie dolls of all different skin colors, hair types, so that they can really, you know, push away from just being known as this Eurocentric blonde blue-eyed doll. And it was perceived really, really negatively. In fact, the Mattel employees referenced one critic said something along the lines of now you can be body shamed in every skin color. And that really stuck with them. And that was really what led them to want to create this line. And it was, it took two years for them to come out with this curvy doll. It was called Project Dawn. I guess they wanted it to be super secretive. I'm not sure. Like, I would love to know the inner workings of corporations like that and why they're super secretive with new product launches. Maybe they didn't want um, expectations to get too high or if they felt like they couldn't pull it off, they wanted to be able to just, like, pretend like the project never happened. I don't know. Um, And they also referenced, like, at this time, Barbie kept having a bunch of swing and misses in the public eye so they had bought an ad space in the sports illustrated swimsuit edition one year and the public hated this for some reason it was 2014 um and again they were like barbie putting unrealistic expectations on women so i think that they really felt like at this point it was like they are already circling the drain they might as well just go for it and so the documentary the end of it is them sitting in a boardroom the day that this new Barbie doll launches. And it was so important and influential that Barbie, this new Barbie doll, even was on the cover of Time magazine. And this was in 2016, around the time of the election. So it's really fascinating to me that it just shows you how influential Barbie is, that they even mention it in the documentary that Time magazine was only talking about Trump at this time and the election, but they took a break from that to briefly talk about Barbie. So seeing Barbie as being on this pedestal right next to one of the most polarizing historical presidential elections in American history. And so I think that this... and. When the Barbie doll came out and the story in Time Magazine came out, I think the cover story said something like, can we stop talking about my body now? And they saw that as a really great thing that like, can people stop talking about, you know, we made her inclusive now and they didn't want it to be a topic of conversation, which I kind of agree with. I feel like women are so often like you could win a Nobel Peace Prize run a marathon and like build a spaceship that circles the moon but if you are a woman the number one thing that people are going to care about oftentimes is are you overweight and are you pretty and it's like as a woman you just feel like you can't win and sometimes the win comes from people just being like okay that's no longer a non-factor we can now talk about other things about you that are interesting So, with that being said, the documentary ends on this high note where they're really excited about the public perception of the curvy Barbie doll. And I think that that really planted a seed. I would love to know, they don't mention it in the documentary, but if at this time they knew that Mattel had sold the rights to the Barbie movie and that it was underway. 
And the Barbie movie has really, again, this is not me promoting it. This is me talking about it from Mattel's perspective and a branding perspective. But I think that this movie has completely changed the narrative around Barbie. Like, it feels overnight. And when this documentary came out, Tiny Shoulders, it was at a time when Barbie was really polarizing and it felt like she couldn't win no matter what she did. Everyone hated her. And now... You cannot go to the store without seeing something that's hot pink. Or you can't open up your Instagram feed without seeing another brand that has done some sort of Barbie collab. Um, Every other video on my For You page is about Barbie and the Barbie movie. And this movie really, I think, did it right. Because even in the movie, and I... So, if you don't want spoilers, scroll away in the movie they even acknowledge at the end like Ruth Handler there's a character playing Ruth Handler and she's like well I was the president of Mattel and then the IRS got me and I have a mastectomy and they even laugh at failed dolls like the Midge doll who had the boobs grow and the pregnant belly or the sugar daddy Ken which is so funny um and they really I think knew that they had to acknowledge that because if they didn't, then people would start digging those facts up and being like, Barbie, like this was a piece of propaganda. And, you know, they wanted to push the the bad history of Barbie under the rug. But I felt like the lesson at the end of the day was truly such a great one, which is like, if a doll feels this much pressure and all she is is a representation of womanhood imagine how hard it is being a woman or there was even a moment where barbie was like men hate me but also women hate me and i feel like i can't win and i was like that's so sad that you know some sometimes women no matter how successful you are no matter how you know motherly you are whatever it is the public will always find a reason to like knock you down a few pegs and I actually saw this recently um I don't know if you guys saw the video recently where Drake was doing an interview with this mom influencer Bobby Althoff and it's like a really awkward interview kind of reminds me of chicken shop date I made a tiktok about it that got like two million views where I was trying to figure out who Bobby Althoff was and it was really tongue-in-cheek and I just think she's really fascinating like this is only her eighth video on YouTube and it's an interview with Drake like people spend their whole lifetimes trying to get an interview with Drake so you know what's her magic sauce and I despise it but I got some comments being like she's just an industry plant and I feel like that is a term that is more so used on women and I've seen men be called an industry plant, but I've never seen it affect or derail their careers the way that it is weaponized against women. And I think that there's this level of betrayal that comes when it's coming from another woman. Like for me, I'm like, yeah, men might criticize me and might sexualize me or think that I'm not worthy of listening to because they don't think I'm beautiful, whatever it be. I'm like, okay, whatever, good riddance. Like 90% of my audience is women anyways. I don't really care. But 
I personally feel an extra layer of betrayal and pain when something malicious that I see online comes from another woman. Because I'm like, we're already, you know, fighting an uphill battle. And part of what men love and what allows them to, you know, keep the patriarchy in check is ensuring that women are still fighting amongst each other. You rarely see men clawing at each other. Um, And it's because they've been socialized that this world is for them. There's enough room for all of the men to be successful. But women are socialized to feel like only one or two of us out of a hundred could be successful. Um, And that's not true. And I think that Barbie really is a great example. And Mattel is a great example of a brand that just because it represents womanhood was very, very critiqued and sometimes deservingly so like them not having a diverse line of dolls for a long time. Them, for example, there was one doll they made in the nineties called share smile Becky and she was in a wheelchair and consumers soon realized that the wheelchair didn't fit in the doors of the Barbie dream house. Didn't fit in the car. Didn't fit in the elevator of the Barbie dream house. And it, again, it was just a reminder that like people who are not able-bodied are constantly reminded of ways in which they can't participate and that was another example of that and like Barbie I think them just accepting the fact that like no matter what they are always going to make mistakes but that they keep going forward that they keep trying that they keep getting up and dusting themselves off and like pushing forward I think is really inspirational I I think that it's like a great example of womanhood and that women in general especially women of color and like I'm a white woman so I'm saying this from a place of privilege so I can't even imagine what it's like for women of color but that like no matter what we do we are going to be critiqued we are going to be criticized we are going to be bumped down a few pegs just for existing as a woman but that getting up and continuing anyways because seeing how much the pendulum swung for Mattel from 2018 when this documentary came out to 2023 when the movie came out like Barbie is one of the most universally loved brands right now I think it just shows that if you just keep showing up if you just keep trying and listening and progressing and taking critiques on the chin you will be successful you will eventually have a seat at the table again and that's really what I took away from this rebrand um And I just think that it's so fascinating that truly Mattel is an example of, you know, if their Barbie doll is so critiqued and she's just a representation of womanhood, imagine how women feel. And I think that that's why women identify with Barbie because Barbie kind of gives us silent permission to be ourselves, to be loud, to be feminine, to exist in this masculine world however we want and like if Barbie can show up every day and still get critiqued and get a million tweets hating her maybe we can show up too and if we get critiqued we're gonna be okay because she's okay so that is my thesis here I hope that it made you know I hope that it was interesting if you guys want like the really deep dive rundown on the history of Mattel you can watch that on Nikki and I's um, new show called Share Your Screen. You can find it on Spotify, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, or if you watch it on YouTube, you can see like the full slides. So with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening. If you watched the movie, let me know how it is. And again, I just want to note that I stand with SAG. I stand with WGA. I stand with the strike. And this was not a piece of promotional media. I just couldn't talk about Mattel without mentioning the movie. So I hope that you guys understand that point. Um, and if you wanted me to dive more into the movie and I didn't, that is why. It's out of respect for the strike. So thank you guys so much. And I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day. And thanks for listening. I'll see you next Monday. Thank you.